You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. What up, everybody? It's your boy, Al Mega. Welcome to a brand new Comic Crusaders podcast. Yeah, man, I can't believe 2022 is finished. I mean, 2021 is finishing up. We're about to jump into 2022, you know, a couple of days left. But, of course, we're going to keep rolling along, speaking to amazing creators, again, from all walks of life, like the show says, right? And today, just another amazing creator. He is a British cartoon and author, cartoonist and author of children's books. He's an author of the Candleman book series. He's been doing some awesome stuff for uh, Hero Collector Eagle Moss. He's done the, the Star Trek uh, books and cocktails. He got some quibbles going on through nurse search. I mean, this dude is the whiz. He got some awesomeness happening that you guys need to be buying and having some good gaming, especially for the New Year's with that nurse search book. Who am I talking about? The great Glenn Dakin. What's going on, brother? How are you? Please tell me I said the name right. Yes, Dakin is correct. Yeah, I got it. How you doing, kiddo? Oh, wow. I'm fine. I'm cool. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. Happy holidays to you and the family, brother. Thanks for joining and hanging out today to talk about the greatness of all these amazing projects you got out right now. I mean, you're, you're murdering it. I mean, you're definitely obviously <laughs> a huge Shrek fan. Uh, as I was perusing your history, I'm like, holy smokes. And, and, and some Sherlock. Hell yeah, man. Show that again. That's the actual book. This is the this is the actual Sherlock book. Nice, bro. Let me see that spine, but it's a hardcover. Oh, gorgeous! Look this at that. A, this is a Woo. this is a hard book, man. You don't want to get in the way of this book. Well, just like Sherlock Holmes, when you know you got to use what tools you have available to you, you probably Absolutely. use that. Uh, uh, you know, knock 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 a uh, Moriarty out or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So just a little bit about yourself, Glenn, man, because you know, I see you doing some great stuff through the Nerd Search. You collect the Eagle Moss. You work with Marvel. You do, you've been on the British uh, indie scene for, for quite some time. Just, so yeah. just tell us a bit about yourself. So, uh, you know, were you born and raised out there in the UK? Yep. I was born in the UK in uh, London. Uh, so um kind of grew up very fond of the comics and uh, American comics and okay. uh, a lot of American TV over here in the UK. We mainly had stuff like Doctor Who. Uh, I used to be very interested in all the stuff that was going on in the States. Um, I love Star Trek, obviously, and uh, American TV shows like Batman when I was a kid in the 60s. And uh, very much inspired by reading Marvel and DC comics when I was a kid. And I used to read loads of American cartoon books like, um, you know, The Wizard of Id and Charlie okay. Brown, yes. uh, BC. Um, I kind of, I used to put American spellings into my essays at school because I was reading so much American stuff. And I kind of started out... Um, Wait, so are you telling me they gave you a lot of red marks though, right? Because if you're doing American spellings, it's yeah. wrong. Because I, I have a writer from the UK and he purposely writes in the English format. You know what I mean? Like the UK, I leave it. I mean, that's you, but that's how you guys write. It ain't wrong to me. Like, God forbid he edits anything of mine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it kind of went round the other way, because now when I write stuff that mainly goes out in America, uh, you know, I have to write in the American way. But when I was a kid, I was doing it and I was being corrected. But the little little did my teachers know that I was writing in the English of the future. 
And uh, now I have to write most of my stuff American styley. So uh, yeah, occasionally I write something that that doesn't exist in America. So uh, you know, I have to occasionally watch my style. Um, (laughs) I I love the so much of the American fantasy and uh, comics, but obviously I don't have the same cultural background. So uh, I did manage to. I did with my wife manage to do the New Yorker crossword last week. So. I hey! That was like. <laughs> was that the that... first one you finished? Was that... Yeah, with some help from my mum. Oh, mom, hello! You got her on the speed dial, right? The light. Yeah, on. yeah. Mom, what's this? She's a, she's the crossword expert. So anyway, it took the three of us. But uh, so I, I'm kind of getting on board gradually with American culture. <laughs> uh, gradually, gradually. So you know, so who introduced you to the comics and the pop culture? Who in your family, or was it something, or was it self discovery? Yeah, it was very much self-discovery. I mean, neither my neither my mum or my dad or my older brother were into comics or fantasy at all. And it used to come into me, uh, you know, through the cartoons, the Hanna-Barbera cartoons. There used to be one called Atom Ant when I was a kid. And there was another one called The Impossibles. They were like a pop group who turned into superheroes. They were kind of ahead of the curve with the monkeys because they were a fictionalized band. But I don't think any of their songs were ever released. They were a cartoon fictionalized band. So they were a bit like gorillas, the gorillas of the the 1960s. And what were they called again? The Impossibles. Really? I never. Thank you for putting me on. I got to check music, cartoons, superheroes. Let's do it. (laughs) They were Fluid Man, Multi Man and Coil Man. Oh, word. When are you writing the next book on this? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the long, it's a long lost TV show. But they were a pop group who were superheroes and they were kind of a little bit ahead of the game there uh, in terms of, you know, manufacturing a pop group for TV. And um... anyway, so I, I loved stuff like that, but there wasn't much of that around. So in those days, you couldn't even watch a DVD of your favorite show over and over again, let alone watch it on computer. So when the, your favorite show wasn't on, the only way you could really relive it was to draw your own comics and write your own stories about it. So I used to like just spend all my time with a little pe- pen and scribbling comics on pieces of paper. And when I look back at those comics, I've still got a lot of them now. You know, they're absolutely terrible. But in my mind, in my mind, I was Jack Kirby. You know, I was drawing something incredible. But actually, if you look at them, they were just a, a kind of scrawl. But it, it was all happening in my head. So I was learning. I was getting some of the storytelling skills in my head that took many years to 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 emerge. But um, <laughs> is Jack Kirby one of your heroes since you mentioned him? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, Kirby's he's one of these people who really saw the future. If you think the whole landscape of um, the Marvel, the successful Marvel cinematic universe and beyond, especially how he saw what was going on in space and uh, Asgard, Mm. you know, he created that whole cosmic backdrop that they use in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I mean, later people have added to it. But Kirby really saw all those things. I mean, the designs of characters have lasted to this day. People can't really improve much or, or at all on the characters that he... And, and when they try, they fail miserably. Because yeah. it's like, no, I mean, bro, these, that color scheme is horrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Have I you mean, seen Warpath? I mean, I know, I know that's not a Kirby character, but I mean, Thunderbird. They brought him back from the X-Men. He's coming back from the yeah. dead, of course, because nobody stays dead in comics. But, dude, they removed his iconic suit and gave him something that looked like he vomited on himself when he was coming out of the grave. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I understand because I do know a few comic artists, and there's something irresistible about trying to, re- to create your own style of a new of a character, but it isn't always an improvement. I'll, I'll say diplomatically, it isn't always an improvement. Agree. Please look at that Thunderbird, and you tell me. I'm not lying to you. I'm like, why would you change such an iconic, you know, uniform? Leave it alone. Oh, no. Leave it alone. I'm going to rush right out of here after this interview. I'm going to break into the local comic store and I'm going to get hold of that. <laughs> You're going to be, look at it, look at it. All right. So, um, so talk about your, your, because I see you do a lot of stuff with Star Trek, but we're going to, I want to get into that. But what was your journey like? So here you are, right? You know, you, you got into the fandom, you know, you're writing American, you know, when did the, when did you, you know, in your drawing, right? So when did it really, get serious in your mind like okay i want to do this like on a serious level uh i guess you know when i had the chance when i was at uh like in my my teens my late teens and that you know i had a chance people were saying go to university i realized i didn't really want to go and study what other people had done i wanted to create stuff for myself so I annoyed everybody, mainly all my teachers and all my parents, by going to art college instead of going to university. And I spent the whole time just drawing comics and, um, you know, ha- really finding my own path. I was, I got really interested after my uh, initial fondness for, like, Stanley Jack Kirby comics. I started to get interested in old American comics like Crazy Cat, oh. uh, George Harriman, the original Popeye strips by uh Elsie Segar and uh, I got really interested in some of these old American comic books and uh, cartoonists so I kind of had a for a while I spun out there I stopped doing I stopped being interested in superheroes like this is when 2000 AD was coming out along in the UK it was all big news and I was looking the other way you know as people were saying to me you should submit to 2000 AD and I was I was more interested in these 50 year old American comics with a cat spouting poetry and stuff so i i created a comic strip called temptation which was about the devil and uh i managed to um get that into my big ambition was to get into print before i finished college and the month before my final degree show i managed to get a page of my comic about the devil Uh, i managed to get that into a magazine with the unlikely name of <laughs> I love it. You may that's not, not that's not like every street corner in New York. Psst. So uh I got a one page strip into that and uh I met a guy called Paul Gravette who was involved in a thing we called the fast fiction uh comic scene in the UK, which was loads of people printing their own comics. Uh also some people called it the small press. Uh, people would just make and print their own comics and they would sell them at comic marts. So but they were... go, wait, wait, you're telling me you guys were going to a centralized hub with, with whatever you guys came up with and being able to print it right then and there? Is, is this the infamous type pub style that you guys in the UK do? Jeez. <laughs> it wasn't like that. We had to find our own ways of printing the comics. Okay. But fast fiction would have a table at comic conventions and you could take your stuff in and they would sell it for you. Oh, so, nice. uh, you could go down the pub and try to bump into more famous comics people than you while um, you, somebody else was selling your comic. So we used to do that. And th- those were at Westminster Hall. And that's where, for example, I, I remember meeting Alan Moore on one of those occasions and um, became friends with Eddie Campbell, who is one of my favorite comic creators. And 
So it became quite a friendly scene. And this was when I was just out of college. I just uh, in my early twenties, I started to go along to this kind of thing and basically print up my own comics, uh, quite cheap black and white comics, and send them to editors, send them out to friends. And gradually, this is old school way, folks. This is before this is the, the internet. <laughs> this is before. This was before the internet because you know how do you, how do people know you exist? Well, you have to do something. It's like a like a beacon, you know. So I mean, one of my comics, I only printed like ten issues of it, but I sent one of them to uh, Paul Gravett, who was just starting up his Escape magazine, and suddenly he said to me, "Well, you know, could you could we print one of your comic strips in in Escape?" So I was off, you know, and I immediately I just made my first little steps. And there's another example of that is I started writing TV in the UK, kids TV, you like. Um, wait, like, wait a minute. So you grew up watching American TV, and now you have a chance <laughs> to do UK TV. Did you bring the American into the UK? What's up? <laughs> no, no. I uh, I used to write for stuff like. Have you ever heard of Bob the Builder, Sean yes. the Sheep, Children? I heard Bob the Builder. Yes. For young kids. Okay. Well, it turned out that the script editor of Bob the Builder had actually n- knew of my own uh, self-published comics, you know. So nice. it, it goes to show that even if you're doing something in quite a small way, like just printing 50 of your own comic and selling it, or even 10, it gives you 10 times more chance of success than if you don't do anything, do anything at all. At all. Look, yeah. preach, bro. That's the truth, man. If you're not taking any steps, you, there is no motion. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So um, I got, I didn't, I never even tried to get into TV. I, I actually, later on, I read a book about how to write for television. And I read it after I'd written for television. Oh, shit. You're blowing my mind. So you weren't even intending to do TV. How the hell did the opportunity fall on your lap? I wasn't interested in, um, I wasn't really interested in writing for TV, but they invited me to a Bob the Builder meeting. So before I knew it, I was being given a chance. And I didn't know how to write TV. I didn't know how to write TV scripts. So I said to them, can you send me one that's already been done? So they sent me one and I just overwrote it with my own words. So I would kind of get the right amount of scenes, the right amount of dialogue. So I would know the language of television, you know, um, the fade in, fade out. (laughs) Yeah. So I over, I overwrote somebody else's script and I sent it in and I forgot to erase their name from the header and footer. So, um, when I, um, they, they they accepted my first ever script, but they said, who should we send the, the fee to you or, you know, Mildred Jones, whose who's <laughs> script I had completely overwritten. That's just a made up name, by the way, Mildred Jones. Yeah, of course. I, I'm, I'm just laughing at this. Though. I mean, <laughs> geez, they're, not, they're like, oh, shit, they, you're going to print my stuff. Oh, the check is mine. <laughs> I mean, it's well, I had to overwrite the other script. I mean, I didn't just send it back as it was. It was uh I did, you know, completely change it, but I just, it gave me a framework, you know. So I was writing for television before I'd even learned how to write for TV, and oh, um, it, it, you know, that that's an example of uh, that all came from the script editor having seen some of my own little self-published comics. Amazing, amazing. So now you're doing this, right? You, you, you did television, you know, you were doing your strips, you were self-publishing. When did you get that first big break into a like a comic company a formal comic company finally uh i remember thinking that i was the kind of person that would never work for a big comic company because my comics got very personal i did a thing called abe 
that was um, really autobiographical and a bit poetical about how I saw the world and things that had happened to me. I, I do a comic, for example, about a little I take a little trip to Ireland and I do a comic about what happened to me on the way and what thoughts did I think, you know, while I was staring over my pint in an Irish pub. So they were, <laughs> they were kind of um, thoughtful little comics. And um, sorry, I completely lost, completely lost what I was going to say. Um, the. Um, well, you go, man. I mean, oh, yes. you've had a long journey. So <laughs> I was, I, I was, I was going to say that I thought I was the kind of person who wasn't ever going to be picked up by a big comic company. And then I was living with my folks at the time, and I went home, and my mum said, uh, "A very posh-sounding lady has rung you up from Marvel Comics. Um, can you ring her back?" So um, I rang back this number and the editor at Marvel UK asked me if I wanted to send any scripts in for the Ghostbusters comic they were doing. What? Because somebody had been looking for new writers and one of my friends had been in the office and said, well, uh, they said, we're quite surprised that uh, Glenn Dakin has never submitted anything. And I hadn't I hadn't thought they would have me. You know, I thought I was too like individual or too quirky. And so they said, well, why hasn't Glenn Dakin ever submitted anything? So this editor rang me up and I just immediately started brainstorming ideas for Ghostbusters. It was called the real Ghostbusters comic. Wow. And, and when we're talking about the Ghostbusters that we know, because the real Ghostbusters, at least in the American cartoon scene, was the one with the gorilla. <laughs> no, have you ever seen that? So we're talking the Ghostbusters from the film type, right? Series. This was an animated version of Venkman, okay. uh, Spengler, right. and Stance and um, Zedmore, the original Ghostbusters done in comic form. Uh, it's great fun to write. Some, suddenly, I was writing for a Marvel UK comic, and that kind of led to me later on writing for their American style comics, <clears throat> where I got to write proper superhero comics which we were producing in the uk interesting now you're doing that right and i want to ask you when did you fall in love with star trek and start building this whole madness in your brain because dude <laughs> you you know folks i mean let me, let me show you guys something because i mean he has that awesome show lot book we're going to get into but I know you guys are Trekkies. Oh, man. Let me, let me start bringing these up really quickly, right? So you did this book, right, first, for, I believe. You tell me, right? The Quibbles, right? Quibbles with Tribbles, yes. Right? Well, and then then we have this new one that people could pick up now, too. And, and you know what? Get the pair, folks. Don't be cheap. This, this is tons of fun. He's going to break it down why why I mean that. I mean, nurses, bloopers of the Borg. Love the art too, fantastic. John so, Ross. So yeah, jo John Ross is also okay. So so you did okay, great, great, great. I was going to ask you that with John Ross. Yeah, that art is fantastic. So, um, talk about that. Where's your love from Star Trek come from, and what is this nurse search? Explain to people because I, I okay. once I started reading this whole description, I'm like, oh my god, I need to kind of get buy this book and do a game, you know, <laughs> on, on a podcast with this book. It looks so much fun. Talk about it. Uh, well, the, to answer the first question, how did I find my love of Star Trek? I was talking to two of my friends at school and they were telling me about this TV show with this spaceship that went to a different planet every week. 
and the people beaming down and the phasers and the Vulcan, and the Vulcan neck pinch. I had never seen it because I had been my family moved houses uh, at a certain age. I missed a few things, missed a bit of TV. I was a bit behind the ball. And um, I thought they were making this up. I thought it was I couldn't believe it. It sounded too good to be true. And I, I started to catch on to Star Trek only on repeats. So in the yeah. UK, I guess I was about 11 or 12 when I started to see repeats of the original series. So I kind of fell in love with it then. And they repeated it so often in the UK that most people of a certain age almost know every every line off by heart. <laughs> and uh completely filled my head i used to draw star trek comics anyway years later i've been working with hero collector uh which is part of a company called eagle moss who do star trek projects and uh, we had the idea well my project manager stella bradley had the idea of doing a kind of where's wally but for people who absolutely love something so instead of it just being like can you find wally in this street it's like can you look at this scene from uh, an episode of star trek and can you see loads of things that should not be in that scene? But oh. there's, but there's still Star Trek. So uh, we were hiding. We'd take a scene like uh, the Devil in the Dark, and we'd hide things in the caverns uh, that should be in other episodes. And we would do something uh, called <laughs> continuity errors, really annoying, simple things like somebody wearing the wrong color shirt, or somebody in the landing party who shouldn't be there, you know, or just somebody. Uh, dead who actually was still alive at that point. So, so um, wow. Were you really a stickler like that, though? Were you really noticing stuff like that as a kid, though, as you guys were viewing this in the UK, like something's off here? It kind, <laughs> of, it kind of grew out of that thing which we noticed, which is that if you really love a show, you can spend ages tearing it apart. You know, we don't we don't bother tearing TV shows apart if we don't like them because we just can't be bothered to talk about them. But if we love something, I mean, people oh, yeah. who love People who love Star Trek spend absolutely ages trying to find something wrong with it. You know, like why would <laughs> why would he do that? Why did that? Why didn't they just beam them up? It doesn't make sense. That's not his character. <laughs> I love How it. come when they went back in time this happened? And oh, you know, so we we spend ages kind of pulling it apart. But, but but it's because we love it. We want it to work, and we want to say, well, in what way could it be better, etc. So this book is like that. It's like the conversation you have with your best friend. The things that you say, the crazy things that you find wrong with the show, uh, all put into a kind of, um, uh, you know, a book format with illustrations that sort of uh, each illustration um, celebrates a classic episode. So in the original series book, we've got Trouble with Tribbles and Devil in the Dark, um, stuff like that. And um, in the new book, which is based on Next Gen, we have stuff like Best of Both Worlds and um, Sarek and, um, uh, you know, The Defector. We have all kinds of um, uh, classic scenes from from, from that uh, unification. And, like, we've put the wrong characters in, the wrong guest stars. Uh, so, you know, it, it's it's kind of different because it's a bit like a kid's book in that it's all it's visual. But it's got stuff in there that you have to be quite a mature crazy fan to spot so it's it's a bit like a bit of childish fun for mature adults why not we need listen it once an adult lets the inner child die you're just an old <laughs> buddy duddy and you're done stop it I, I just want to say the artist john ross has done an amazing job i think he's really captured i i find sometimes when i read star trek 
comics that the artwork doesn't seem to me to fully establish the uh, reflect the glamour of the show yeah. but john's artwork um especially on the first book the original series he just seems to capture the strange beauty of the show and the um the, the, he, the stylized versions of the characters are superb and um i I'm, i don't understand why he's not been snapped up to work on on star no trek worries. he will be he will be because i mean is the IDW that's producing Star Trek comics? So that's why he's got to just, you know, IDW. You have somebody here doing killer work. Come on now. Stop he just it. captures them and makes them look so good in the old costumes. I always thought that the 60s show had an absolute edge in terms of the sheer quality of the design and the color. And, um, it was know, new. It was fresh, you know, and now yeah. when they try to do it again, they even try to revamp, but it's like, you guys have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is very, and also I think we sometimes underestimate the generations that came before us. I mean, TV was an absolute heyday in the sixties. I mean, it was, TV was what the world was all about in the sixties. I mean, TV people, was the internet. <laughs> people, yeah, people sat staring at it all day, and everybody watched the same shows because it, here in the UK there was only like two channels for a long time. Everybody knew what was on. Everyone spoke the same language. Even if you didn't like shows, you watched them because you were frightened two you might channels. miss channels. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Yeah, there was two channels. Damn. When I was a kid, there was only two channels in the UK. Yeah. Wow, two channels. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I mean that means that you find your tribe rather quickly then, because you guys were all watching the same thing. I mean, I grew up in the 80s in New York. We had you know multiple channels. So okay, some like kung fu, some like action, some like cartoons. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mean, I liked it all. I didn't give a crap. That's, that's my life. I love it all. Yeah, uh, well, anyway, in the in the UK, it gave us all a very common ground, you know, so everyone knew what was on and everyone had the same frame of reference. And it really brought people together. And uh, people kind of miss that now, even even now, when I talk to my friends, even my friends who are like my nerdy fantasy friends who like (laughs) Doctor Who, Mandalorian, all these shows. Nobody's watched the same episode at the same time on the same day. You know, I'm I'm watching um doctor who somebody else is watching discovery somebody else is watching hawkeye you know we 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 kind of can't be on the same page at the same week you know that's why as friends you gotta have meetings okay guys you want to talk about this this is going to be our viewing schedule for the week (laughs) and just make it a plan people are too cool to do that everyone wants to be ahead Everyone wants to be ahead of everybody else if i if i talk to one of my friends about a show they're like oh that was the old show now i'm watching you know, oh, really? I'd be like, you, I haven't even watched Snake Eyes yet. I mean, I'm behind. I'm I behind. don't even know what that is. Oh, he watching... goes, Snake Eyes. <laughs> I'm, I'm still, I'm still catching up on TV from the sixties. Um, yesterday oh, I was, no. watching, I was watching a 1967 black and white episode of Doctor Who yesterday. Though that's how current I am. Oh, let me tell you, man. I've started rewatching Benny Hill stuff because I've seen everything. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I love Benny, man. May he rest in peace. Amazing comedian. All right. So, you know, you're doing the Star Trek stuff, but you know, there's also another great character that you're doing some stuff on, which is Sherlock Holmes. Talk about this amazing little hardcover book you showed us earlier. Thank you. Yes. Uh, well, I did this book last year called Mr. Spock's Little Book of Mindfulness, where we took the wise remarks of Spock. And we wrote a book about his philosophy and people really enjoyed that. I also, it's I also the philosophy did, of Spock. That's what you did. Kind of. Yeah. I also did the cartoons. 
And we were kind of thinking, what could we follow it up with? And um, we were looking into it and we were thinking that really Sherlock Holmes is a, a kind of predecessor of Spock in that he has the logic. He had the insight. He had the apparently cold nature at times. He was a real forerunner for the invention of Spock. And we went back and we thought, you know, this would be a great to look at Sherlock Holmes and think, what did he actually think? What did he actually say? Not what do people think he said and all the cliches everyone trots out. So I read every single word of every single story of Sherlock Holmes and watched a whole load of the movies and things and try to get to the bottom of what his system of thinking and his uh, view of the world really is, but in a funny way. So we've, um, yeah, that's the, that's the new one. And I think it might surprise even fans of Sherlock Holmes, some of the stuff that we've got in there. Oh, really? And, and, and again, with, with Sherlock, were you a fan as a youngin, you know, following the stories of Sherlock or no? Not as a young and no, I was much older. I, I remember it was, um, I picked up an old, do you still have the Reader's Digest in America? It's a sort of, uh, I haven't seen that in ages, but I, again, because, you know, hey, look, look at us, guy. I mean, I do know what Reader's Digest is. <laughs> when, uh, when I, I was, look at us, you know, come on, man. When I was a kid, my dad couldn't afford to buy me uh, pads when I played football, like shin pads, and he would make me wear Reader's Digest down my socks. Instead. No way! <laughs> oh, oh, at least he didn't uh, tape duck them to you. I'm thinking that we're going to tape that to your knees and your shins. <laughs> wow. Anyway, well, one day I was looking at the Reader's Digest, and I, it was a Christmas edition, and there was a, like a Christmas story called The Blue Carbuncle. And in this Christmas story, Sherlock Holmes was solving a mystery about a turkey that had gobbled up a rare and precious gem. And I read this story not so much as a Sherlock Holmes story. I read it as a Christmas story. And it really enchanted me with its descriptions of London in the snow and Sherlock Holmes trying to track down this turkey. It's quite a... I mean, there's a French writer who said that Sherlock Holmes stories are kind of a comedy in a way. And there is a great air of comedy and uh, sparkling intelligence over this story. And it just won me over and it made me realize that I'd, I'd always imagined that Sherlock Holmes was something a bit melodramatic, a bit too old fashioned. But when I read this, I realized it was full of irony. It was full of imagination. It was full of charm and it kind of won me over. So I started to read my way through the nice. short stories and nice love it so do you think you're gonna uh, uh has that inspired you to do more sherlock stuff of your own accord or what i am working on another sherlock project, oh it's, it's top secret. you've read my mind oh. i am working i'm working on something now but it's top secret i'll tell you about okay. it in about six months because right, I six months you're coming back here so we could talk all about a, it i'm working on something now it's a very good idea i, I believe but it's a very, very stealable idea. So I haven't told anybody about it. Even don't my tell. wife, even my wife doesn't know I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> Damn! Don't even trust the wife with this one. <laughs> no, she's not. She wouldn't. She wouldn't even be interested. I um, I sit down before I start work. Like if I start writing at nine o'clock, I sit down between eight and nine and work on my secret Sherlock project, and that will be unleashed on the world next year. I can't wait. Cause you know the only reason I asked that is that. Once you started speaking about Sherlock, you got so passionate. So I was like, all right. I mean, I'm seeing something here. That's why I like, I felt well, that energy. Like you're doing something special. You started digging the, I love that. I love that when, even when we're older, we, we get to find a new love for characters that have been around even during our childhood, but we just didn't pay attention. 
and then we we rediscover them. I, I think mean, you. Is that an amazing feel? Yeah, you, I think you see these things with new eyes as you get older. You know, you see them in one way, and then you see them in another way. It's like rereading the Lord of the Rings. Uh, you read it when you're 15, and you read it, you know, 20 years later. You you feel for the characters in a different way. You understand them in a different way. Yeah. And, and maturity, uh, right? Maturity. All of a sudden, you're thinking like, okay, let, let me not think like a thug. Let me think like an adult for a change. And now I'm there. <laughs> yeah. And you also, I think you get a bit more empathic as you get older. When you're young, you just want the goodies to beat the baddies. But when you're older, you start to realize that there are reasons why people have become the baddies. And My are... dude, I have become an emotional wreck as I get older. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on with me? I'm like becoming a softy. <laughs> yeah, you you start to think. Well, wait a minute. You know, there was a reason why he became Darth Vader, etc. Uh, you know, it's not just good. And, people aren't just born good and bad. And um, you know, you empathise a bit more. So you also this also happens. Um, you know, as you get older, when you read the Sherlock Holmes stories, there are crimes of passion. People are driven to do things. And when you're when you read it when you're young, you think that they're just crazy. But as you get older, you realise that sensible people do crazy things sometimes. <laughs> We're all nutcases at one point of our lives. <laughs> we are. We, we all we all have the power to be nutcases, and um, we should be compassionate towards each other yes. when when it's our turn or when it's their turn. I mean, and, look, you know, not many of us could display it as publicly as, say, for example, a Kanye <laughs> that put that put. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you know, yeah. but but we all go through it. It's just a moment, you know. In life, sometimes it just happens. You know, I, I, have I had that moment? Maybe ask my wife. <laughs> she, she probably say, "Yeah, that shit many times already." Who knows? For yeah. me, I haven't had it yet. Well, yeah, maybe it'll maybe it'll come. But um, anyway, so I, you know, I, I've I've learned a lot over the years looking at the Sherlock books, and I think I've managed to put some of his wisdom and and compassion into the uh, into this book, which I'm very uh, very proud of, especially getting to do the drawings which i'm really yeah, pleased. I want, yeah man so how did you feel about that not, not you handled the book everything right i mean you, you're writing it you're doing the drawings mm. and whatnot how did that feel so it's like this is a you know gd production completely it was just like it was really like going back to my roots because when i used to do my self-published comics i would literally put my little drawings in and then i would write something that i think oh it doesn't work it needs a bigger picture or it needs less text and i i you know move it all around glue it back down again and working on this book was quite similar because i had the chance like working you know with the editors at uh, eagle moss they were i'd say well i think this this chapter needs another picture or or i think this one needs to be funnier so i you know i could send i could do a new drawing scan it send it in um, try it out, move it to this page, find another quote, make the quote bigger. So it really had the same hands on feeling as when I used to do my original uh, fanzines and comics nice. uh, when I was in my early 20s. So it's kind of like come full circle in a way. So how is it to work with a company like Hero Collector, Eagle Moss? Because I see, you know, they do amazing collectibles and now, you know, they're doing a lot of amazing print stuff. I mean, how is it to work with a company like them and especially like an editorial staff, you know, being that you have to you know, deal with them. I mean, are, are, are they pros in the business? You know, do they know what, what's popping, you know, based on your experience? Cause you've been around. Yeah, a while. I mean, I, um, I mean, I've worked in, I've worked in house with Eagle Moss as well as in a uh, freelancer because I'm a kind of consulting, uh, you might say creative editor. So, uh, right. unfortunately at the moment with COVID, we are not working in the house. But I've I know I know them very well, and uh, we go for coffee and chat over projects, and 
I've worked a lot with uh, Ben Robinson, who does a lot of the Star Trek stuff. We spend ages discussing Star Trek and Doctor Who and the plot of everything, even the Shakespeare plays. Is that are... when your wife kicks you out the house? Like, I don't need this nerd talk here. Go to the pub, guys, please. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So we, we'll argue about the plot of any anything from, um, you know, the, the, the Tempest to um, Bob the Builder or uh, Doctor Who and uh, try and take it apart. What makes the plot work? How could it be better? And, um, we, you know, this kind of friendly relationship has led into me working on some of these uh, projects. And uh, I'm very, we've been very lucky that they've had the confidence in me to let me run with some of these ideas. And um, it's, it's currently being great fun. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So, okay. So we got these books or everything that's on screen in the background picture, right? There's both Star Trek books are both out now. And so is Sherlock, right? Absolutely. Um, I think people who, if they've seen the Spock mindfulness, they'll like the Sherlock. Um, I love, I've loved doing the, the artwork on them. It's been very, very nice, uh, very creative, very funny. <laughs> and, um, it's just been a blast, really. Um, if, if people want something that looks slightly more professional in the artwork department, I'd say get the John Ross art in the Star Trek books. <laughs> I just want to tell Mr. Lottie here. Yeah, brother. I love villains. So if I'm in, maybe. Villains is my life, bro. I mean, <laughs> look who I got on myself. Skeletor, Lobo, you know what I mean? This is, come on, guy. I'm a bad guy. He goes, I have a villainous laugh. Hey, brother, if Hollywood wants it, I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but Glenn, you're like amazing, bro. You're doing so many things, man. And, and before we go, I want to talk just a little bit because you also have this other series out, you know, that you have two books coming out, the Candleman series. Can you tell us a little bit about that before we go? Okay, Candleman is great because it's my own creation. I've found over the years that you have more chance of getting a book published if you write for an existing brand like Star Trek, you know, Doctor Who. But I managed with Candleman to launch my own uh, kind of creative, my own universe. Uh, it's about a modern day boy who finds that he's a descendant of a Victorian crime fighter. Oh. And uh with that revelation comes the fact that he's become kind of haunted by some of the um, arch enemies of the Victorian crime fighter who turn out to still be alive today. And it's set in a kind of spooky oldie worldy London. It's, it's still the modern world, but he, he discovers that um, on the streets of London, some of the, the myths are still alive. And the thing about the Candleman is that, which he finds out, which is shocking, is that his power was that when, when he touches someone who is evil, they melt. So uh, he, he's got quite a terrifying power and he has to he has to always wear gloves so that um, he doesn't melt people by mistake. So uh, but he finds out that the Candleman in the Victorian times, uh, people were absolutely terrified of him. I mean, if you think like Batman inspires fear, you know, the whole idea is that criminals are a superstitious, cowardly lot. Yes. You know, the Candleman will absolutely terrified people. So he's only like, uh, he's like a 14 year old kid, but, um, everyone is terrified of him. And he's a suddenly. 14 year old hero that everyone is terrified. I love this already. And he melts people. Yeah. And he gets some strange allies along the way. So the first book was called the society of unrelenting vigilance, where there was a crazy group of people who'd spent a hundred years waiting for the Candleman to reemerge in the genetic stream. And the second book was called the society of dread. 
And I'm st- I've started work on the third book. That's that's that'll take a couple of years before that comes out. A couple of years he goes teasing us here, but that candle man sounds amazing. And all of this again currently available, right? If they visit yeah. the website, they should be able to get links to purchase. There are right? links to my there are links to my books through the, through the website. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, Candleman is is like my own fantasy world based on life in London, I suppose. And um, that that's something I guess it's my own thing, so it means a lot to me. Uh, the other stuff is like Star Trek, Doctor Who things. I've I've revered Sherlock Holmes over the years. Uh, Batman. I've done a book about Batman. Um, so yeah, I've got I um that one is special to me. Web, I can't wait. People, you got to check out Glenn here, man. He does everything. So last last point here, just a piece of advice in your journey, the way you've had. Is there anything you could tell any up and coming creators, or, or something you feel that they should know as they begin or or are in their journey? Um, uh, well, the thing is, I found it's really hard to tell anybody anything. There's a, there's a famous quote that says it, it's, it, it takes a, it takes a wiser person to take advice than to give it. And I found it really hard to, um, to get people to take advice. And I found it really hard to take advice myself. But two things I would say, one thing is just show people your work, you know, don't do it all on your own. If it's just 10 comics that go to your best friends, uh, one of those friends might give it to somebody else. Just don't keep it to yourself. And the other thing is, is accept criticism. I used to be terrified of criticism, but you're really lucky if people take the time to criticize you. You know, it shows they care. They might sometimes even try and hurt your feelings, but what they say can help you to grow. So I'd say don't be frightened of criticism. Enjoy it. Uh, take it on the chin and learn from it. And just get people to see your stuff. Don't hide it away. There you go. You hear that, folks? Don't be afraid. Don't be shy. Just get her done. Get, get it her out done. there. Get it out there. I love it. So, folks, I've been showing this nonstop, but I'm going to show it one more time. Follow Glenn on Twitter so that we can find out about this secret project. <laughs> I need to know. In six months, you're coming back because I need to talk. We need to talk to Sherlock, and I'll have I'll one be, of my I'll UK be very guys. Happy. I'll be very happy to, to, to show you. Oh, man, I, I would dig it because Sherlock's the man. But, of course, folks, please. That, you know, we're still on the holidays, and if, if somebody didn't like the gift you bought them, <laughs> go visit the website right here and pick up one of these nerd search books, or even the Sherlock right here. Let me tell you, these are real great stocking stuff for fun books, especially for the geek in your life that are, are Trekkies or whatever, or homes people. I mean, they're going to love this. I mean, Glenn is very creative, awesome, and put up amazing work. You know, via a hero collector, ego moss, and everything else, brother. So I really can't wait to see this Sherlock project, this secret project that even the lady knows about. Now your wife is going to question you if she watches this. What secret project? <laughs> <laughs> Glenn, you're amazing. Thank you again. Folks, you know what my outro tells you to do? Um, well, look, look at this. It's so funny. So this guy says, Glenn looks the wise old man that guides the hero, like Master Shifu <laughs> in Kung Fu Pan. <laughs> That, but that's Glenn, but he's been on a long journey and just him sharing his story is going to most likely motivate and inspire others for real because Glenn hasn't been afraid to be himself. I mean, look at him. He went against the grain of his teachers and his family, you know, forced his own path, fell into TV, has been doing comics, been following things that he loves. I mean, and look at him. This dude, you don't know his age. I do. And he looks fantastically young. So, you know, God bless, brother. Obviously, you, when you enjoy what you do, it keeps you youthful, apparently. Thank you. I, I thought you were going to say, look at him. He's just wearing a crummy old jumper and he uh, <laughs> dares, dares to come on my show. 
looking like um <laughs> nah brother uh, look at me just in a t-shirt and a hat bro i'm freaking <laughs> you know it's, it's done but uh, you're awesome thank you again for your time i really appreciate thank you it very much it's yeah. been great fun Oh, man, it's been a great time for sure. Thank you to Hero Collective for allowing you to, you know, and giving me time. You know, the people's aware. I said, yo, you're getting to talk to my boy Glenn. And I said, absolutely will. <laughs> Anytime. So come That's back good. in six months and we call on about Sugar Life. Don't mess around okay. with me. Okay. All right. It's Open great. invite. This is your house. All okay. right. And with that, I'm Omega. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Much love. Thank you for everybody that commented. Hasta la próxima. Later. Thank you for listening to the Comic Crusaders podcast. If you like the content, please subscribe and turn on notifications. Also, please visit ComicCrusaders.com and our extended podcast family over at UndercoverCapes.com. And also, make sure to download the Comic Crusaders app on the Google Play Store today. 